Today's episode is brought to you by Stream by AlphaSense, an expert interview transcript library that integrates AI-generated call summaries and NLP search technology so their clients can quickly pinpoint the most critical insights. Start your free trial at www.streamrg.co backslash PMC. That's S-T-R-E-A-M-R-G.co slash PMC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear at Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engine so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcap stocks. Next up, the Planet Microcap Showcase Vegas happening April 30th through May 2nd, 2024 at the Paris Hotel and Casino. Save that date. We are working our tail off behind the scenes to put together the best program we can. The website is now live. And if you'd like to register to participate, please visit planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. My guest on the show today is Charles Payne, host of Making Money with Charles Payne. While I was in New York last week, Charles was kind enough to take some time while prepping for his next show to answer a few of my questions and some that came in from social media. We covered more than I thought we would during our 20-minute conversation, including starting to reflect on 2023, better understanding investor sentiment, what could happen to cause that to change, his thoughts on the small microcap bloodbath of the last couple of years, and we close out looking ahead to 2024 and if there are any new investing themes or trends on the horizon that folks should really focus on. Charles also just released his new book, Unbreakable Prosperity, which is now available wherever books are sold. Thank you again for tuning into the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my interview with Charles Pan. Charles, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Thanks. Thanks a lot. It's great uh, to have you here in the Big Apple. It's great for you to have me here in the in, in here. You know, yeah, we're, we're yeah, right the brain thrust, uh, trust. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was pretty cool. You know, we, we did that. We did the full lap, and you're just you know, you see, oh my god, Neil, Stuart Varnley. That's really cool. Yeah. So you know, look, last time we did an in person interview together, I think actually was might have been pre COVID. Well, it was definitely pre COVID. Or no, actually, I apologize. It was like right at the beginning of COVID, right. so that's like almost three years now. Wow. You know, and. Rather than doing the whole three-year wrap, because I, I, you have a show to do in, I think, less than three hours. So we're it's November 2023. What would you say are some of the more important investing trends that folks should be aware of when thinking about not just reflecting on 2023, but also as we move forward here for the rest of the year? You know, uh, I think one of the most important things is that the world was turned upside down. And so was the financial world. And it's still reverberating right now. You know, I have all these guests that come on my show and like these are like brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people. And they manage hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars. And, uh, you know, these analysts, institutions pay for their research. And almost all of them have been wrong. <laughs> I mean, not just a little bit, right? They have been really, really wrong. And I think the problem is we've never lived through anything where trillions of dollars 
uh, were generated and cascaded onto our economy, and not just our economy, but around the world. It skewed everything. And you know, I, and for the, I, I, almost every speech I gave in 2022, I called it the hangover. Like this is a fun time. Mm-hmm. Everyone's getting their STEMI checks and they're going to the mall, and the GDP number is phenomenal. But there's a price to pay for it, mm-hmm. and we're in the middle of paying for that price right now. And so, it's made almost all of the rules uh, insignificant. Now, whether that's a long-term thing or an anomaly remains to be seen. Uh, if, for instance, bonds. There, there's never, never, never been three years in a row where bonds were down. Mm-hmm. Never. Got about a month ago, a couple months ago in this year, we can actually be the third consecutive year of bonds being down, unheard of. So does that mean we're going to go into a 30-, 40-year bond bear market? Because before the 40-year bond bull market that almost every investor watching this knows, uh, and by the way, almost every investor watching this thinks is the way it's supposed to be or is, it could be completely different, completely flipped upside down, and that changes everything that you do with investing. It changes everything you do with even personal uh, 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 spending decisions. So we're in this sort of weird period where there's so many big-time question marks, and that's the sort of legacy of the pandemic era. Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of interesting. We were joking about this before. Like when I was on your show back in October 21 – you know, I hate to say it, that was, I think, our peak microcap <laughs> or was the peak. And then the last two years have just been kind of a bloodbath. And yet, you know, markets have, you know, been steady. Let's say that. I mean, relatively flat, maybe down a little bit, of right. course, up in certain respects. But it's ba- mostly been propped up by Magnificent Seven. You know, I think that's the main branding we're using, right, for right. the for those companies. But within our circle, small micros, it's it's been rough, you know. So how should folks think about what's going on just from a macro perspective where, okay, it's being propped up by the seven, but just I'd say the bulk of these – I'll let you go. You, you rock. Okay, so to your point, um, the market has been very deceiving. You know, the market being up is, is to your – you know, it's, it's not up. Right now at this particular point, for instance, this year, of the S&P 500, only 28% are up – outperform the S&P for the year. Only 28%. So the S&P 50 – they're up 26%. The Magnificent Seven are up, I guess, on average 40% or something like that. So the vast majority of stocks uh, are, are significantly underperforming. Uh, again, you know, uh, it's, it's 72% are underperforming the market. Many of them are down. Mm-hmm. Most of these sectors are down. And, and here's the irony. It's the sectors that were supposed to be safe havens, yep. the utilities, uh, real estate, uh, you know, consumer staples. At the beginning of the year, everyone was saying, you got to be in the consumer staples because they get to, you know, they can raise their prices a nickel. Like, everyone pay an extra nickel for a box of cereal or a candy bar. And they have shrinkflation, right, which is wink, wink, you know. <laughs> and, and, and for a while that worked, but then it didn't work. And only one thing has worked, and that the, large, the larger the company, uh, the better the stock has performed. Uh, and we know that's not always going to be the case. We do know that these stocks are, are overvalued using traditional valuation metrics. I will add, though, one caveat. That they are that they are amazing companies. That never in the history of mankind have there been companies like this that are uh, dominate their own individual fields and are moving to dominate the the future. Right. So we've just entered the fourth industrial revolution, and so those seven or eight companies, if you want to add Netflix to the mix, uh, are, are in a position to dominate for a long time. Doesn't mean that there aren't other investment opportunities. And ironically, the, what's happened is so if the biggest are the best, the smaller you get the worse it's been all the way down to the micro cap sector. So, you know, I would say, um, you know, and it's not my field of expertise, but I feel like, the again, as, as you get down, the smaller the names, the more punishing the stock market has been. 
when that kind of thing happens, you know opportunities are being created. Oh. You know, you know that they're crushing great names uh, along with other names. You know, they put them all in a basket and they treat them all the same. And so that's where great wealth is made when you can identify that and be positioned for it. Oh, 100%. I mean, it has been a stock like amongst our core microcap audience that are they know the game. They love when sentiment is bad because right now they're just kids in a candy store right. finding great opportunities across the board. I'm sure you're seeing some of the same things. Oh, absolutely. There's just, just no doubt about it. You know, you just kind of, you know, you do your work, you make your list, and you just kind of bide your time. Uh, and uh, depending on your, your temperament, it's okay to even be early, right? I mean, it's, it's fine. If, again, if you're investing in these companies, not the market per se, but and you're investing in great companies that are significantly undervalued, uh, then you know what? You buy some here. If it goes a little lower, you buy some more a little lower. As long as your conviction is based on fundamentals, uh, most times you're going to do okay. Another thing I wanted to talk to you about, and I don't know if you have any data or you've seen any trends in this in, in this as well, but we're seeing capital inflows also be relatively slow because, again, you know, I think some of these allocators probably say, like, all right, I could just either – go into a money market account or right. invest in the Magnificent Seven and, you know, call it a day. Like, why do I need to, you know, put money into, you know, not just micro strategies, but any other strategy. I could just right. do this all myself. So I wonder if you've seen any data or have a perspective on that as well. Well, I mean, to your point, uh, money market funds now over $5 trillion, I think maybe $5.2 trillion, uh, uh, over $3 trillion in institutions, over $2 trillion from retail investors. Uh, most of that money has come out of savings accounts. Uh, you, across the board, I mean, the big banks, a little less than, than the smaller banks, why everyone's on, on, on pins and needles when it comes to financials right now. Um, T-bills, bonds, <clears throat> those have been layups, uh, you know, for people seeking yield. <clears throat> but by the same token, again, if we go into a, a long-term bear bond market, uh, a lot of people who thought they were getting some safety there are going to be in, in a lot of trouble. Uh, and it's the ironic thing about the Silicon Valley Bank failure. That was because they had too many bonds, right? The, you know, the risk-free investment, uh, U.S. <laughs> Treasury bonds. So, yeah, you're, you're right about yields. I mean, you're right about flows. There's no doubt about that. That kind of thing can change on a dime. I think there's a couple things, particularly going into the end of the year. The shorts. Right now, there's a record amount of shorts on um, bonds and stocks. Goldman Sachs just put out a piece yesterday saying, uh, just in the U.S. alone, that uh, institutions, have, these hedge funds are going to have to buy at least $142 billion worth of stock. And that, that would be a garden variety short squeeze. Uh, buybacks were put on hold uh, for a long time. Now, they won't come back with a vengeance because yields are higher. You know, a lot of companies are borrowing money at zero to buy back their own stock. You can't necessarily do that. But buybacks are going to come on strong. You're going to see a major shift in flows going into next year. Whether or not it's sustainable will depend on bond yields. So if yields come down, particularly the 10-year yield gets under four, I think you're going to see massive uh, flows into stocks and bonds. You know, switching topics a little bit, going more sector-specific, you know, what sectors have you seen that have just been absolutely hated? I think the greatest irony has to be utilities, honestly. It's just really, really amazing. Um, one of the favorite stocks out there is a company called Nextera, NEE. You share with No, I don't, I don't own any. I, uh, um, when President Obama was in office, it was the biggest stock winner. Mm -hmm. It was Florida Power and Light. They became a behemoth. They made a lot of money off those government programs. And it was feeling like maybe they'd do the same uh, under President Biden. Here's the irony. I mean, they have thrown billions and billions, tens of billions of dollars at, you know, the solar stuff and the EV stuff. I, I don't know if you looked at Rivian lately or Lucid lately or those stocks. Even Tesla's way off the high. Uh, you know, you still have to have organic demand. 
I do have a solar stock that I'm getting crushed in, in phase. I'm getting annihilated in it. It's just <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. It's, it's so weird. You know, it just gets back to the point where, uh, you know, these, you know, the, the utility slash climate stuff has been an unmitigated, unmitigated disaster. Financials have been interesting, too. Again, with the, with the, with the Silicon Valley Bank thing, there's been a big question mark about them. Uh, but even some of the larger banks that, that shouldn't be down, the, the cities, and then there's the Goldmans, which used to be the brill most brilliant people on Wall Street. So that's been somewhat of, of a curiosity as well. I thought industrials would be doing better by now. Materials would be doing better by now. They're okay. You know, they're hanging in there. But uh, it, it's it, again, it's been baffling because only a very few stocks have really, truly, really worked out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting on the material side too, because especially when gold's touched over two thousand. That I, listen, there's a ton of other materials out there, right? But that always tends to get the main headlines, right. like oh, above two thousand. Like, right. what's going on here? But it, you're right. Like, it's still has a lot of those stocks just haven't held up. Ironically, I think gold is losing the at least the PR battle to Bitcoin. All right, so Bitcoin has made this huge move. Uh, it, it probably will be the number one performing asset again. I think that would make seven out of the last ten years. Uh, and, you know, it's, so it's, it, I think it's that sort of that safe haven move. Uh, you debate, well, you know, you think the government's out of control. You think the world geopolitics are out of control. Uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, all this money would have gone into gold. Now some of it's going, more and more of it's going into Bitcoin. Uh, but industrial metals, I thought, should have done better, too, in part because of the things I'm talking about. These programs out there, uh, rehab, re this reshoring phenomenon, this onshoring phenomenon, it's, it's really amazing. It really is amazing how much manufacturing is coming back to America. So I thought they would do better under those circumstances. Although I will add, a lot of that money hasn't been spent yet. So we can still see it happen. 100%. Yeah. I mean, talk like Dr. Copper and uranium, all these different things. So now looking ahead a little bit, because again, it's November 2023. Year's pretty much over. You know, rates, I think they've signaled that they might raise it again in a, what, in like a month or something like that, or potentially, well, relatively right, soon. Right. So going into 2024, I mean, this is this is kind of a big year, right? We got election year. We have all the geo, geopolitical issues that are going on right now, two, two separate wars. Uh, in your opinion, how should folks think about investing, finance, their own portfolios, their own financial freedom, now going into a year like we're about to have, which I hope is a little bit more chill than I'm making it sound? Well, well uh, you know, it's going to be hard to be chill, I tell you that much. It ain't going to be chill, that's for sure. There's going to be a lot of headlines. You want to be in the news business next in 2024. Um, I will say just here in the last couple of weeks, though, the narrative is starting to change on the street. So two weeks ago, uh, the CME has a Fed watch thing, and it, it was showing the first rate cut next June. Now the next rate cut is uh, they're seeing it in May, and there's even now a 15% chance of it being a 50 basis point cut. Guggenheim came out and said that the Fed funds rates are going to end up under 3% next year. And to put that in perspective, that means we're going to have to. That means the economy is going to collapse. I mean, again, right now, Wall Street's looking at 425 basis point rate cuts next year. That would take us to 425, 450 on interest. Mm -hmm. uh, so to be under three is, is scary. I mean, that means that the Fed probably has overdone it, and we'll see a dramatic shift in, in employment. We'll see. And by the way, we've uh, revised our employment down after these jobs numbers over 600,000 fewer jobs than initially re recorded. So that's a, a really shaky thing to begin with. And then the quality of the jobs, mostly leisure jobs, which are the lowest paying. So there are already some serious red flags there. So we could actually see a, a massive recession. 
next year. I think we see a recession. The, arg- the argument is how, you know, whether it be shallow or deep. Uh, if the Fed stops now, I think it could be shallow. If the Fed stops now, uh, you know, but again, the irony is that we were just talking about how much money is still in the pipeline for spending. The other side of this is how much the federal government's going to spend, because if the federal government keeps spending the amount of money they're spending, and we don't have the buyers of our bonds that we once did. Remember, China used to have the most bonds, yep. U.S. bonds, about $1.3 trillion. They're down to $800 billion. Now Japan has, <laughs> has a larger share, $1.3 trillion. The thing is, Japan is letting their own 10-year yield go up. So their 10-year yield was like 0.2%. It was nothing. They removed what they call a yield cap control, yield curve control. Now it's up to 1%. It's getting attractive so that Japanese households don't have to buy our bonds. They'll just buy their own bonds. So if you get rid of China, Japan, Saudi Arabia has been a seller. And then in the meantime, the Federal Reserve is allowing their bonds to, to, to mature and roll off their balance sheet. Then who's going to buy them? And if, whoever's buying them is going to demand higher yields. So the question is still going to revolve around, I think, yields and, uh, and, and you know, the 10-year yield. You definitely don't want it over 5%. And, you know, what, you know, go find yourself a, a, a sturdy rock and, a, and a, maybe a bottle of vodka, whatever you like to drink, you know. Uh, if we can get it down to under 4, fine. Uh, but I do see a recession. A lot of it depends on what the Federal Reserve does, if they can sort of recognize uh, before it's too late that they've done too much. Like, you know, you, you, you know the bull in the china shop. I know that everyone says they like to break things. You don't want to break everything, I don't think, right? Uh, so, and then there's the geopolitical stuff. I don't think China's going to do anything too provocative next year with respect to Taiwan. Although, if you listen to President Xi and some of these, uh, and, and what they've done over the last few years, for a while his focus was always on the economy and prosperity. Now it's definitely shifted to Taiwan. So the saber rattling is there. They've militarized these man-made islands. They've done provocative things uh, with their neighbors. So they'll keep watching you know, Ukraine, Russia. They'll watch uh, Hamas and, and Israel. Um, and those kind of things as, as sort of ideas or proxies. So that's going to be a dark cloud that doesn't go away. That's going to be a dark cloud. I don't know if it, how much it will impact the stock market. I think, the, I think more than anything else, if you think about this, oil right now, West Texas Intermediate, $77. If I told you on October 7th, uh, you know, uh, a month later, oil would be at 77 instead of 97, you'd have said, no, you're not paying attention. With this kind of a, a you know a turmoil in the Middle East, there's no way. So, I think we're still looking at recession uh, being the key uh, on the economic side, and then of course the political race. Yep. Um, you know, uh, and 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 the wild card there, the asterisk there is President Trump with 92 indictments. You know whether he can't <laughs> could even take office, but the poll numbers are really significantly in his favor right now. The momentum is in his favor right now, and. Um, the Democrats are going to maybe have to do a Hail Mary. Uh, I, I just, I don't, you know, I don't think you're going to win the next election not hitting the pavement, not hitting the road. You can't do it from uh, Zoom calls in the basement. Um, and so uh, it's going to be intriguing to see how that works out. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, we don't talk too much politics on the show or anything like that, but it's it, I, it might be an uphill battle, like, between two proxy wars and then also, you know, if we do go into a recession, like, that's... Well, what you had is you had uh, inflation, right? So on one hand, it was great that people, you know, listen, I always say if someone was getting $1,000 a week and they go into the store and they come out with two bags, then you all of a sudden you gave them $1,200 and they went into the store but only came out with one bag, 
they're not going to give you credit for giving them 1200 bucks. They're going to say, whatever you've done has hurt me. And so there were polls when they were considering even another, you know, flush of cash that people were saying, no, thanks. Because the more I get, things cost more money. I'd rather just not have that. I'd rather just have organic growth, you know, maybe an opportunity to earn more at work. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, and, 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 and I don't know that that's going to change because if, if the consequence of me spending the money that you wanted me to spend as the government and, and is runaway inflation followed by the Federal Reserve derailing the economy, the ultimate one-two punch, my money didn't go too far, and now I lost my job. That's a hell of a way to get reelected. So whether we go into a recession, whether it's a, you know, a soft, it's massive or just, you know, I don't know if there's a run-of-the-mill chill recession. I don't know if that's been yeah. coined yet. Maybe I will hear. But, you know. Chill recession. You better chill, yeah, that. I, I, think, yeah. I think that might that might actually have some legs. But, like, for the everyday investor, or maybe some of the folks that are listening here today, you know, it's a little different than 08, where I don't think people realize that, like, how crazy the GFC was going to be. Right. But at least now there's some conversation. Again, it might not be massive, but if it is, at least it's being talked about well in advance. Right. You know, so how should folks think about their portfolios? They should handle their money. Like, what should they be thinking about if this were to happen next year? No, I think that's a great point you bring up. Uh, it, it definitely won't be, a, you know, the global financial crisis or, you know, the implosion of uh, – of, um you know, the dot-com era. Um, I, I think you want to stay the course. I think that, you know, it's so funny. We started this conversation with the book and, and the psychology and, you know, uh, you know of, of, of being an unbreakable investor. But that's the whole theme of my book is that you're going to take losses. you got to learn how to bend that break. You know, I, I took the whole title from the, a poem I learned in school uh, about a tree and a, and, a, and a blade of grass. They always had this, the, every day the tree would brag about how strong it was. And every time a wind blew, the grass was flowing all over the place. Like, you guys are so weak. And, of course, a big storm came through. And the grass, you know, kind of laid down and the wind went through it. And, but the tree held up until it cracked. The tree died. And the, and the, and the, and the, and the grass didn't. And so, you know, you want to be unbreakable. You want to be able to bend and mold. And that means... Look at this recession, no matter, to your point, the size of it, as, as A, an opportunity. Uh, you know, listen, if, a, if the company in your portfolio is not doing well and it's because of the fundamentals, dump it. But don't get out of the stock market. You know, stay the course. And if you really, really want to take it to the next level, try to take advantage of, the, uh, you know, of any sort of particular craziness because that's what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's at least what we try to do. That's what we try to do. I was going to say, I think that blade of grass in the poem was artificial. <laughs> you know what I'm so, you know, again, Charles, I know you got a show to prepare for in a little bit, but final thoughts, you know, you mentioned your book as, as well. Let me just give it a little, you know, for those watching on the, on the YouTube version, we got Unbreakable Investor. It's available now wherever books are sold. Can you tell us a little bit more about the thesis behind the book? And I know you just did a great town hall with Annie Duke as well as Evander Holyfield. Yeah. So tell us yeah. a little bit about that and how it relates to the book and everything. Well, the book before this was Unstoppable Investor. It did about 350,000 copies. And, uh, you know, and, and again, you know, I've been in this, doing this for a long time now. I started on Wall Street in 85. And I just, I've seen, you know, and to this day, I help people every single day, you know, and retail investors. And I see the same mistakes over and over again. And most of, them is ba- most of it is based on emotions, lack of knowledge, lack of knowledge of what you own, lack of knowledge of history. Uh, but also there's some other things in there. I'm talking about the potential for a roaring 2020s like the 1920s. The 1920s were so amazing. People just remember 1929, but the 1920s itself was phenomenal, phenomenal in terms of expanding the middle class, mobility, adoption of the automobile, 
uh, it was just uh, our health, that 10-year period, our life, uh, our life expectancy grew at a greater rate than any 10-year period in history. So, and we're on a cusp of something very similar, something very exciting. Got a big chapter on the Federal Reserve. Uh, I think they're far too powerful. It's the only central bank with a dual mandate, but they've got more than that. And they keep giving them more power. Uh, this is something everyone, all stripes, all sizes, I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on, you need to be worried about the Federal Reserve having as much power as it does. I don't like waking up in the morning and wondering what Jay Powell had for breakfast before I look at my portfolio, right? Um, and, and so I'm just, I'm really excited about it. Uh, I do, in the beginning, I do a piece, uh, a sort of homage to my grandparents who, um, who in 1951, uh, bought a, a 50, uh, a, a bought a 50 acre farm in Alabama and they gave up everything they owned to get that farm. And just, just to remind people, you know, it's not about getting rich. It's about building a foundation, lifting the foundation a little bit more for the future generations. And that's what it's all about. So it's at unbreakableinvestor.com is the best way to get it because there it's free, although people have to pay for shipping and handling. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Charles, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank really you. do appreciate it. Thanks. And um, where can people follow you on social media? Just yeah. uh, Well, uh, CV Payne on Twitter. And uh, I got some other things, but that's the only thing I really I, – I, uh, every now and then I go on some Twitter rants. Some of them are pretty good. <laughs> I follow them all. <laughs> Charles, thank you again. Man. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast podcast.